The Watership Down podcast is intended for listeners who are familiar with the plot. There may be spoilers. This episode is scripted by Jamie Club and Newell Fisher and is narrated, recorded and edited by Newell Fisher. Hello and welcome to the Watership Down podcast episode 78 in which we will be looking at the character of Blackavar in an episode written by Ausla member Jamie Club. Let's get straight into it. Blackavar Stands His Ground by Jamie Club. Blackavar's swift and brutal demise in the 1978 feature film and adaptation of Watership Down is often cited as a shocking, horrific, cruel, and even unnecessary decision on the part of screenwriter director Michael Rosen. The character's destruction is only rivalled in its horrific gratuity by Bob the Devilish Labrador's rampage in the film's penultimate scene. However, there are two vital points about this scene that upset some general viewers and some fans of the original novel, respectively. Firstly, unlike other on-screen deaths in the movie, Blackavar is a character that has won our sympathy. Secondly, for all the grim realism of Richard Adams' novel, Blackavar is spared and even thrives. Furthermore, if an argument were to be made for Rosen's Warship Down to be defined as a horror film, as many a social media meme has posited since the late 2010s, then this scene is Exhibit A. However, the scene's inclusion is a bold choice that punctuates a character arc. Was Michael Rosen justified in making this decision? From a narrative perspective, Black of R represents Ephrafa as much as the main antagonist or big bad General Woundwort. This statement is easier to make for the original text, but still stands true for the 1978 adaptation. One might even go a stage further to say that the trajectory of Blackavar's backstory in parts 3 and 4 of the novel are perhaps one of the most understated triumphs of Adam's writing. However, I also argue that his death in the film cements his importance in that particular work more than what we might first appreciate. With the benefit of time not available to an independently produced animated feature film of the 1970s, Richard Adams was able to develop Blackavar's personality in his novel. Being the offspring of a doe forcibly taken from the Nutley Cops Warren and an Ephraim captain who was killed and went on wide patrol, Blackavar is ostensibly a product of war. This origin story, possibly inspired by the rape of the Sabine women from Roman mythology, seems bleak even by the harsh standards of Adams' rabbit world. Even the name, Blackavar, which matches his physical description, is the most foreboding title given to any of the characters. The name might be a play on the word balaclava, an item of clothing worn over the face to keep warm, but also associated with criminal activity. The black part of the name comes from the unusually dark colour of his fur, a trait that is almost lost in Rosen's film, due to his decision to have all the Ephraphans painted darker than all other mortal rabbits. Black in Warship Down carries similar connotations to rabbits as it does humans in the Western world and is represented by their lapine agent of death, the Black Rabbit of Inlay. It's a comparison not lost on Blackavar's Ephraphan colleagues. In the chapter Groping, after Bigwig first meets Blackavar in his bedraggled and sorry form, forced to stand as an example to any other rabbits who might consider escaping Ephraphar, Cherville quips, he'll meet a rabbit blacker than himself one of these nights. Prior to this scene in the film and novel, Holly describes what led Blackavar to this sorry state. Having failed to escape, he was dragged before the Ephraphan council, terrified, begging and pleading before having both of his ears ripped. From this point until after Bigwig's led escape, he is presented as a cowed and broken rabbit. However, 
Adams provides him with a character arc that reflects his parental heritage and also derives positivity from his bad experiences. We learn that he once had aspirations to be an Owlsra officer to honour his father. However, when he is refused entry due to his mother's blood, he harbours a spirit for rebellion against Afrafa. Given a second chance at freedom by the infiltrating bigwig, Blackavar quickly regains his confidence and fights alongside him to make good his escape. During their journey from Afrafa to the Great River, Bigwig notices certain negative traits Blackavar carries over from his life under General Woundwort. For example, antagonised by a re- recent shoulder wound and what he sees as an Ephraffan scoutcraft act, Bigwig rudely dismisses Blackavar's advice that they not stop in a certain area due to it being fox country. The advice turns out to be sound, and as a consequence of Bigwig's refusal to take it, one of the Ephraffan does is picked off by a fox. When Bigwig admits his mistake to Blackavar, he is taken aback by the former Ephraphan's apparent amnesia about ever saying anything, not to mention his total nonchalance about the death of the doe. Heisenkloh then explains to the, ex- the extent of Woundwort's brainwashing over the bucks of his warren. If one offered advice and it was not taken, everyone who witnessed this exchange, including the adviser, collectively banished it from their thoughts as if it never happened. A strong feature of Blackavar's personality is what Adams described as a proud detachment. He is a perpetual outsider who eventually comes round to being one of the most trusted members of the Watership Down Warren and whose advice, based on his learned tracking skills and Owsler ambitions, provides invaluable security information. Richard Adams Blackavar ends up reflecting Ephrafa at its worst and its best. He shows the impact of its conditioning, its cruelty and its impractical belief in inherited elitism. However, he is also one of the best representations of its efficient training on wide patrols. His father's death provides him with a sense of purpose, whereas his mother's suppression helps inspire his spirit of rebellion. The Black of Art of Rosen's film starts out in a similar way as the novel, but rather than progressing him as an instrumental addition to the Warship Down Warren, he turns from cowed victim to defiant rebel. Prior to the first time he speaks, we are introduced to Black of Art via a flashback sequence told by Holly. In response to Bigwig's statement that some rabbits must escape from Ephrafa, Holly says, They caught one trying to run away when I was there. Blackavar was his name. When they'd finished with him, both of his ears were ripped to shreds, worse than this one of mine. He was lucky not to have been killed. Whereas Woundwort is presented as a figure to fear, Blackavar and his fate is exemplified as the reason why his fellow rabbits should be afraid. Holly uses both to back up his argument that the Watership Down rabbit should abandon plans of going to Ephrafa. Blackavar's first obedient words begin with miserable mumbling before Cherville cruelly prompts him with physical threats to speak up. It's a pitiful scene that elicits a natural protectiveness in the audience towards a victim of bullying. Between this scene and the description provided by Holly, the viewer is inspired to want to see Blackavar join Heisenthal and the rest of the does in their escape. In the novel, Bigwig makes a conscious decision not to leave Blackavar behind. This is not explained in the film, but shown as Blackavar somewhat pathetically lollops after the running does, whilst Bigwig deals with Cherville in the novel Bartzia off-screen. Blackavar's next scene in the film occurs under the Iron Bridge, as the storm begins to break and they await the arrival of Kihar. Hannah Gordon's Heisenthal ramps up the tension as her ever more urgent cries describe, describe Windwart's approach, until she finally asks, just ahead of the chase's music climax, what shall we do? It's here that Blackavar's line provides us with the stoic resolve Bigwig will echo later in the film when it comes to facing the Ephraphans. Blackavar's first line reverberates off the walls of the bridge's inner structure. Quote, it nearly came off, end quote. This is a rabbit that is used to disappointment of the worst kind and no longer fears failure. 
He says it almost in consolation to his fellow escapees. He then turns to face the camera head-on, displaying his scars front and centre with the backdrop of the rain. Quote, we'll take one or two of them with us before it's finished, end quote. This line will prove to be prophetic in the film, although it won't, this won't be his moment. Later, as we build towards the film's final act, and after the rabbits of Watership Down have been informed that the nearby woods are full of the enemy rabbits, Blackavar's defiance is immediate. He is the first to speak, restating his defiance with the declaration he is not going back while standing up on his back legs. As discussions are made whether or not they should leave, Bigwig echoes Blackavar's words from under the Iron Bridge, quote, if I'm for the Black Rabbit, there's one or two from Ephrafa will come with me, end quote. As the scene takes us into the warren that is hastily filled in to block the Ephrafan invasion under Hazel's instruction, although previously ordered by Silver, Blackavar makes the statement, quote, You don't know the Ephrafans, they'll never give up, end quote. Heisenclay immediately voices her agreement and suggests that leaving might be a good option after all. Blackavar certainly comes over as worried in his words, but it's more of a statement of fact based on experience and possibly the closest homage we get to the respected advisor he develops into in the novel. His death scene is perhaps what he is most remembered for by casual viewers of the film. The sequence is so brutal and bloody that his visceral impact threatens to erase all his previous moments. When taking this viewpoint, it is easy to see his final scene as nihilistic. His character arc could be, could be regarded as sadistic in the philosophical sense of the word. Michael Rosen's Blackavar is a virtuous character that is tortured and humiliated, mutilated and mentally broken. He is then rescued, gaining newfound courage in the process. All of this is then snatched away in a matter of seconds with his savage demise. Unlike the novel, Blackavar appears to remain the outsider. He goes rogue by hiding away down one of the tunnels away from the rest of the rabbits. His death scene is a solitary suicide charge. He even warns Windwart by calling General before standing in front of him for an instant. It's the second time he faces the camera head-on, calling back to his let's take one or two of them with us before it's finished moment. With a scream, he lunges forward. He doesn't even get a scratch in and is immediately smashed down by Woundwart's forepaws. He is then rendered a gory mess in, in, as the film's big bad uses his teeth to lift him up by the throat. His blood-covered corpse is discarded, leaving the camera to linger on it in the foreground as Woundwart rushes on down a tunnel. The sad-sounding, lingering, sombre musical note that accompanies the sight of the dead Blackavar is the entire acknowledgement he receives. From this point onwards, the horrific elements of the film begin to escalate. The thrilling relay chase Hazel orchestrates with his three best runners and Bob the dog is juxtaposed with Woundwart's pursuit of Pipkin. Ironically, Woundwart's chase comes over as more predatory and monstrous. A fast-paced score covers the dog chase, making it feel lighter, whereas Woundwart's progress is accompanied by an ominous, slower dirge. His arrival at the mound of earth where Bigwig hides to launch the ambush has all the trappings of a horror film. Framed by the tunnel walls, Woundwart's already intimidating visage is increased by foam around his mouth and Blackavar's blood, a reminder of his murderous capabilities. The fight between him and Bigwig demands a faster-paced score, but there is no attempt to glamorise the contest. It's a bloody, grisly and desperate scramble, rather than a deft exchange of techniques. The music starts as a compromise between the heavier tones of Woundwart's approach and the faster beats of the dog chase, as the scenes below and above ground are intercut. After taking a breather, where the two combatants exchange taunts, the music picks up pace to accommodate the chasing scenes only. The next time we see the two rabbits fighting, the music builds to a slow crescendo as we arrive at a technical standstill. 
This gory scene only ends to make way for the film's biggest bloodbath. The culmination of Hazel's plan is the apparent wholesale slaughter of the Ephraphans. After being teased all the way from Nuthanger Farm by the rabbit relay, Bob finally gets to express his primal urge to kill the children of Elachera. While the film hits all the key notes, points of the novel, there are crucial differences in terms of the film's final act. These are largely dictated by the film's editing, but also by the decision to kill Blackabar. Up to this point, the only genuine moment of horror is the destruction of the Sandalford Warren. However, that scene alone could not define the film as a horror. Firstly, the surreal way it is depicted is disturbing on one level, but it's nothing like the realistic violence we see in the final act. Violet's sudden death, whilst tragic, is so fleeting that it virtually takes place off-screen and the character has not been established as anything more than a minor supporting cast member. Bigwig's encounter with the snare can be defined as terror rather than horror. The scene might be gory, but we are more stirred by the fear of him dying and invested in his friend's valiant efforts to set him free. The blood seeping from his mouth and desperate gasps elicit apprehension rather than shock and repulsion. His apparent death turns out to be a false defeat and our emotional investment is rewarded. Blackabar's death and Woundwort's cornering of Pipkin and the former Ephraim and Doze provides us with a classic horror trope. One year later, Ridley Scott's seminal science fiction horror Alien contained a comparable death scene. This is where the monstrous xenomorph alien of the title slowly closes in on the character of Lambert. When the character of Parker tries to save her, he is swiftly and brutally dispatched. The xenomorph then continues its slow progress towards its prey. Likewise, Blackabar's death is fast and furious, delivered like a momentary inconvenience compared to the slow, deliberate way Woundwort approaches the quivering Pipkin and the escaped Ephraim and Doze. However, this is not just about horror for the sake of shock value, and Blackabar did not die in vain. The most obvious tropes applied to this scene include dropped a bridge on him which is also applied to Violet. It's a term used for an anticlimactic way to kill off a character. This is probably what makes the scene seem so jarring, unlike Bigwig. Blackavar has no Miyamoto Musashi-like strategy or ambush planned. He straight up alerts the general to his presence and fights him on even terms. We might reduce the sting by knowing that he also conforms to the defiant-to-the-end trope, and, and that comes out in Blackavar's story arc, as demonstrated in his previous two scenes. Immediately after his death, Pipkin is shown burying Bigwig. The almost comical tone of the scene brings the audience up from the horror they have just witnessed. However, the scene's purpose is quite clear. Blackavar's momentary distraction brought Bigwig more time. Hazel may have been the rabbit who tried to offer his life to Frith to save his warren, but Blackavar was the only one willing to make the ultimate sacrifice. A trope that can be used to describe the death scene is the young Seaward trope after the character in Shakespeare's Macbeth. It is in reference to a youthful, noble warrior, intent to prove himself against the tyrannical Macbeth, who is quickly killed in a duel. Seward's self-imposed pressure comes from his religious beliefs and his adolescent age. His courage is later celebrated, as his father is told he died facing his enemy. Blackabar, as Rosenfilm shows us, makes a defiant, if abrupt, change from the cowed, frightened form we saw being bullied by Cherville. His words under the bridge are those of someone willing to fight back and die against his oppressors, as is his simple, when I'm not going back, remark at Watership Down. Rosen does a good job of keeping most of the main story intact, but there was just not enough time to show us the Battle of our Adams wrote, who won the trust and respect of the new allies. Instead, the decision was to have him be as good as the bold words he spoke.
By comparison, edits made either to the script or the completed film shortchanged most of the main cast. Unlike the novel, where a tidy wrap-up ensures we know the fates of all the cast, Fiverr is last seen in a trance, Bigwig is an exhausted and bleeding mess in front of the huddled Pipkin and the former Afraf and Doze, whilst Dandelion and Blackberry are left at their posts. The audience only know of Hazel and Heisenthal's survival because of the epilogue that takes place a long time after the final events. However, his escape from Tab the Cat is given only the slightest of nods, and without the day ex machina chapter, Lucy's disembodied voice makes the scene, scene seem oddly truncated. We can only assume Heisenthal didn't die from exhaustion because we hear Hannah Gordon's voice in the distance reciting a line from the story of the blessing of Elacrera during the epilogue. General Woundwart's fate is intentionally left ambiguous as it was in the novel, but we are unclear which of the other Ephraphans are killed by Bob after Campion tells them to run. Therefore it is arguable that Blackavar has one of the film's most complete character arcs. From a dramatic perspective, Blackavar's death is required to sell the menace of Woundwart. Up until the Iron Bridge scene, the general is shown to be a figure of power and terror. Unlike many a big bad, Rosen chooses to slowly reveal this villain in order to build up his intimidating aura. In Woundswalk's first scene, when he where Heisenthal puts her proposal to the council, only his sing single damaged eye is visible. His formal introduction comes via Holly, who says, I don't think even you could match up to him, Bigwig. After this, we see him as a supreme and tyrannical figure of authority at Ephrafa during Bigwig's infiltration. Woundwalk proves to be intelligent and switched on, noticing potential threats and all the most anticipating Bigwig's real purpose ahead of the escape. When he tracks the fleeing group to the Iron Bridge, it looks like we're going to see him in action as he singles out Bigwig for his own personal attention and rises up on his hind legs, a flash of lightning highlighting the drama. However, Kihar's sudden attack, although exciting and entertaining, reduces the general's menace to comedy. The drama created by his rising up action is turned into an instant disadvantage as his balance is compromised and Kihar is able to bowl him over. Woundwalk retreats from the lunging goal that pecks and flaps his wings at him. The general actively takes cover and looks helpless as he shouts insults and tries to ward off the word with one front paw. His cries of get away sound fearful and pathetic compared to what we have seen of the character. This image is not improved by Zero Mostel's incessant and comical cries of I kill, I kill. As, a, as the pursuit of the escaping Ephraphans is resumed and they all arrive at the Great River, we are seemingly returned to the fearful image of Woundwart. As the suspension is rekindled, Woundwart delivers a dramatic speech intentionally designed to inspire fear, whilst he issues his plan of attack under his breast to Campion and Vervain. However, it's all undermined again after he states, that bird can't save you now, and Bigwig uses a trick that was old when El Herrera was a kitten, when he retorts with, there it is! We might have mitigated Woundwart's fear for, mo for momentary surprise when Kihor attacked him, but the fact that Bigwig's trick was enough to distract him confirms that genuine fear. So what does a director or writer do now with the main antagonist whose stature has been diminished before the film's climax? The big bad has to be made a genuine threat again. Woundwart's restoration as a powerful enemy starts with his statement to Hazel, quote, You tell your chief Bigwig that if he and Heisenthal and the others aren't waiting outside when I come for them, I'll tear out every throat in the place. End quote. Blackavar's death proves this statement to be partial foreshadowing. Like Macbeth, the swift and brutal destruction of another in single combat bolsters the villain's stature as a seemingly unbeatable foe. Both Adams and Rosen have their bigwigs buried in order to get an early advantage over Woundwalt. However, Adams' bigwig is more successful and gets in a disabling bite. The fight ends when Woundwalt decides to retreat, 
and it is established big, big is the victor of the duel. Whilst Rosen's fight isn't conclusive and ends in a second standoff, his bigwig is moving backwards down a narrower tunnel. Woundwort is confident he will win at this point, asking why Bigwig would throw his life away and then commanding him to come out. Although the film gives us Woundwort's surprise at the realisation Bigwig isn't the chief rabbit, his sudden rushed leaving of the fight comes from hearing the cries of his Afrafan soldiers. The Woundwort of Adam's book is described to be almost as big as a hare and having almost killed a cat. However, besting a cat also becomes one of Bigwig's rites of passage at Nuttinger Farm. Woundwort's defeat and the fear that he might have to face a chief rabbit he presumes will be more powerful than Bigwig serve as classic bully retribution. The general is described and shown to be nothing more than a persecutor who relied on his physical strength to get his way and is proven to be a coward once he finds himself to be at a disadvantage. He even orders Vervain to take his place in the fight. We don't need to see Blackavar have a shot at this antagonist, let alone give up his life. Adam's Blackavar has far more room to follow his character arc into the respected security officer and tracker he becomes. Rosen needed to do something different whilst maintaining the integrity of his film and as much of the source material as possible. His Woundwort needed to be a monster, almost supernatural in his menace, especially after the Kihar incident. His line, quote, there's no white bird here, bigwig, end quote, doesn't come over as a sign of the general's continued fear of Kihar, but that his enemy is out of hope. By the time he faces the dog, we almost believe he has a chance of survival. Ultimately, although it was a decision made by the 1978 filmmaker and not the original author, Blackaval's death is a reflection of its time and the grim realities of war. The 70s were a time of gritty filmmaking, and when animation studios such as Disney were falling out of touch with their, with their audiences, Rosen's Wardship Down needed to be taken seriously. From its poster of a silhouetted bigwig trapped in a snare and a theme song about death, this was clearly nothing like the child-targeted child animated features mainstream audiences were used to seeing. It succeeds in conveying the virtues of comradeship and the in individual traits of different team players. But for all the softer, kinder elements that were present in Adam's novel and not in the film, the film needed to be unflinching in the way it conveyed the real dangers of life. Killing a named character, especially one who has the audience's sympathy, keeps the story more believable and makes it less predictable. If Blackavar's death seems cruel and mean-spirited, then perhaps it can offer us a reminder that life often seems that way and war is never glorious. There is something quite British about the decision to kill him in this way. I don't just mean in a kitchen sink drama way. Rosen's film is mainly positive, all the more so because of the great terrors the protagonists face. The good guys win, and although the epilogue is sad, there is something very triumphant about the idea of Hazel having lived a good life and going on to be a part of the Black Rabbit's spectral Owsler. British culture celebrates the stoic acceptance of disappointment when it happens, but be dogged in defiance to the very end. Blackavar's sentiment under the bridge, echoed by Bigwig, might have been, been inspired by Winston Churchill's intended slogan should the Nazis have invaded Britain, you can always take one with you. Blackavar did not have a chance against Woundwort, and he did not know Hazel's plan. Since he left the Warren, he decided he was never going to die on Ephraim terms. Having only had a life of being crushed under their might, it would be natural to think that Watership Down had no hope against their invasion. So he decided to go out on his own terms, defiant to the end. Thank you so much, Jamie, for that impressive analysis of Blackavar and his wider context in both book and film. I hope I didn't massacre your words too badly. Next time, we return to our analysis of the 1978 film, 
as the rabbits of Watership Down journey to Ephrathah. Mm-hmm.